listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in the name of the triune God. So I remember vividly the moment when for the first time it really sunk in that I am going to die. I was 21 years old and on a bus driving along the coast of Naples, Italy. I don't know if you've ever been there, but in Naples the mountain roads skirt magnificent but also terrifying cliffs that plunge precipitously into the Mediterranean. Uh, But in keeping with the stereotype, our Italian bus driver sped the enormous bus so fast around the hairpin turns that mortal fear seized me like never before. (laughs) My life flashed before my eyes, and I started to pray that God would spare my life. But then as I looked out over the glassy expanse of the sea, my panic transformed into something deeper and more absolute. For the first time, it hit me that even if my life didn't end that day, there would at some point come a day when my my fear would unfold into reality and my life would end. I was seized with a terror I could not shake. And so for the next year, I would wake up every day in a panic thinking, I'm going to die. I am going to die. Death is terrifying. And despite the fact that we are surrounded, surrounded by it every day, we are surrounded even more by our attempts to deny it. Plastic surgery, bullet juice blenders, a dizzying number of pharmaceuticals and medical technology, all to give us one more reason to think, maybe it won't happen to me. Maybe one day we really can live in this body and in this world forever. But in today's gospel, Jesus confronts our denial of death head on and shows us that the way of the gospel is ultimately a message of freedom that grows out of death rather than overriding and replacing death with something else. Now, it might seem strange that a story about a dead body coming back to life isn't really a story about erasing death. In fact, probably the majority of us hear the story of Lazarus as a story of God's triumph over death in Jesus. I certainly have heard the story this way for most of my life. But this year, as I reread the story, I could no longer read the raising of Lazarus as a story of triumph, at least total triumph, particularly one with the promise that if we can somehow be Jesus' close friends, then we too can escape death. Because the Jesus I put my trust in is not a Jesus who makes promises to insiders. I believe in a Jesus who promises everyone. Yes, if we look more closely at the story of Lazarus, we find something very different from a triumphant account of Jesus destroying death for a friend. Though in the end of today's gospel, Jesus seems to give the people what they want, Lazarus walks out of the tomb... If we continue past today's reading in the Gospel of John, we find that the primary reaction to Jesus raising Lazarus is suspicion and vengeance. 
not celebration. Yeah, the gospel does say that some came to believe in Jesus, but the gospel barely mentions them in passing. The remaining 20 verses of this story recount that many of the people report to the Jerusalem City Council about the raising of Lazarus, and the gospel reads, from that day on they plan to put him to death. I'd like to think that if I had just witnessed Jesus bring anyone back from the dead, even more a friend or a family member, I'd like to think that I'd be fully satisfied. I'd like to believe that if I were at the raising of Lazarus, I'd surrender all the things that weigh me down and live in total harmony with the whole world. However, that's not what happens to the people who actually witnessed the raising of Lazarus. And so I'd be pretty full of myself to believe I'd be any different. I fall into the trap all the time of believing that my life would be altogether different if God would resurrect my friends and family from the grave. I'd like to believe that I'd be a happier, less fearful and anxious person if my cousin Christy, who died in a car accident when we were both 14 and was like a sister and a best friend, that if Christy hadn't died, I would, have, I would not have made many of my worst mistakes. I'd like to believe that if God would bring back from the dead my parents firstborn who died before I was born, that I would have felt more loved and secure having an older brother. I'd also like to believe that the world would be a totally different place if God would raise all who died in the Holocaust or in Columbine or at Newtown or at Charleston. I'd like to believe that if God would just erase death for all those I love and admire, that I'd be saved from all the things that weigh me down. But I know deep down that it isn't true. Though I'd certainly feel an initial thrill and joy if I were surrounded now by all those loved ones, their physical presence in my life would do nothing to override my tendency as a human to mess things up. In fact, I suspect this is why Jesus weeps when he hears the cries for him to raise Lazarus. And it is likely behind why Jesus was disturbed in his spirit when he entered the tomb of his friend. Jesus knows that the heart of the good news is not a magical reversal of death for those we love, nor for us. Even though we feel so deeply that it's the very thing we want and need most. Jesus knows that the raising of Lazarus will ultimately disappoint us, and he grieves our coming disappointment. Jesus grieves because he knows we need more, and therefore that his journey into transforming human pain and suffering is not over. That even those who believe because of Lazarus will eventually all turn their backs to him on the cross to save their own skin. Yet, Even in Jesus' grief, we find the seed of hope that underlies the entire liberating message of the gospel. Jesus sees that we don't need the erasure of death, but that we need to be freed from our fundamental denial of death. Jesus sees that in turning our backs to death, we really turn our backs on each other. Indeed, it is the denial of death that lies at the heart of the worst of human atrocity, We protect our own and ourselves to the peril of all around us. I'll get you before you get me. 
And so at the cross, Jesus takes all of our denial of death and shows us its ultimate conclusion. That a cosmos in which God only resurrects God's friends isn't a loving and safe place for anyone, not even for God. Instead, what we need is a universe where God forgives and resurrects all of us, the traitor and the faithful, the enemy and the friend, all of us. And so this is what Jesus does, too, with the raising of Lazarus. He reverses the death of a friend to show us that it's not really what we wanted and needed after all, and that what we really need is a forgiveness and resurrection that includes our enemies as much as our friends. And it's in that forgiveness of the whole world where God gives us the grace to amend our lives. With a God who not only raises her friend, but also her enemy, we have the freedom to look at our neighbors and ourselves with less suspicion, with less anxiety and less fear. When we are no longer clamoring to be sure we are God's friends, that we are the insiders, God gives us the mercy to truly love in a world surrounded by death. This is the good news of all saints. Today we ask to be surrounded by the souls of all the departed and not just our friends. Surrounded by this great cloud of sinners and saints, we have the chance to make peace with our lives and with each other because God has made peace with all of us. And we entrust that our prayers tonight will glide across the hands of all the souls of the people of God, crowd surfing over the great communion of sinners and saints. Until one day, the prayers will glide across our own hands and into the hands of God. Behold, God is making all things new. Amen. <laughs>